0: Section 1 of Observations and Reflections This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Observations and Reflections by Augustus Toplady A Basement The sweetest seasons on this side heaven are when the soul sinks as into nothing before the face of God and is absorbed in the sight of Christ and the love of the Spirit, when we feel the presence of deity and silently wait on him at the foot of the cross with weeping eyes, melting affections and bleeding hearts. When Christ entered into Jerusalem, the people spread their garments in the way, When he enters into our hearts, we pull off our own righteousness and not only lay it under Christ's feet, but even trample upon it ourselves. Acceptance. What coming and what returning sinner need despair of acceptance? No man can be worse than St. Paul was before his conversion, and no man can be worse than St. Peter was after his conversion. Actions. Where scripture is totally silent concerning the lawfulness or unlawfulness of any action, consult the book of your own conscience and follow its dictates. Observe also what does or does not tend to take off from your mind that exquisite sense of divine love which a believer would ever wish to cultivate and cherish. Affections, A believer's affections are too often like a cascade or waterfall that flows downward, instead of being like a fountain which rises and shoots upwards towards heaven. Afflictions If you thoroughly exhaust a vessel of the air it contains, the pressure of the air on the outside will break that vessel into perhaps millions of pieces, because there is not a sufficiency of air within to resist and counteract the weight of the atmosphere from without. A person who is exercised by severe affliction and who does not experience the divine comforts and supports in his soul, resembles the exhausted receiver above described, and it is no wonder if he yields and is broken to shivers under the weight of God's providential hand. But affliction, to one who is sustained by the inward presence of the Holy Ghost, resembles the aerial pressure on the outward surface of an unexhausted vessel. There is that within which supports it and which preserves it from being destroyed by the incumbent pressure from without. Some persons are apt to walk in their sleep. They are said to be effectually cured of this dangerous habit by only once horsewhipping them soundly until they awake. God's people are apt to doze and run themselves into danger, on which Providence takes the horsewhip of affliction and brings them to themselves. Was he to spare the rod, his children would be spoiled. The world is a sea of glass. Affliction scatters our path with sand and ashes and gravel in order to keep our feet from sliding. In a long sunshine of outward prosperity, the dust of our inward corruptions is apt to fly about and lift itself up. Sanctified affliction, like seasonable rain, lays the dust and softens the soul and keeps us from carrying our heads too high. The earth must be ploughed and sown, and harrowed, and weeded, and endure many frosty nights and scorching days in order to its being made and preserved fruitful. Gentle showers, soft dews, and moderate sunshine will not suffice always. So it is with the soul of a fruitful Christian. A person was lately observing, of some fine ornamental china on his chimney-piece, that the elegance of its figures and the perpetuity of its colours were owing to its having been consolidated by passing through the fire, is not the same remark applicable to the afflicted people of God. Antinomians Christ is still crucified between two thieves, antinomianism and pharisaism. Arminians I much question whether the man that dies an Arminian can go to heaven, but certainly he will not be an Arminian when he is in heaven. The employ of the blessed is to cast their crowns at the feet of God and the Lamb, and to sing, Not unto us, O Lord. Should it be thought harsh to question the salvation of one who dies under the blindness of Arminianism, as if a man who only robs God in part might miss of glory, let it be considered that even on earth, if a person robs me only of my watch, or of a single guinea, he has forfeited his life to the law, as much as if he had robbed me of all I am worth. The old Arminians mentioned in scripture are blamed for thinking wickedly that God was such an one as themselves, but our new Arminians outsin their predecessors and actually represent God as a being in many respects considerably inferior to themselves. They suppose him both to form his schemes with less wisdom and to execute them with less power, spirit and success than a prime minister of common sense forms and executes his. They dare ascribe to God such impotence, blunders, imperfections and disappointments as they would blush to ascribe to a Zymenes or a Sully. Arminians consider the grace that is inspired into a true believer's heart as a text of scripture written upon a pane of glass liable to be demolished by the first hand that flings a stone at it. All the disputes between us and the Arminians may be reduced to these two questions. 1. Is God dependent on man, or is man dependent on God? 2. Is man a debtor to God, or God a debtor to man? When the Arminians foolishly affirm concerning the will of an unregenerate man, viz. that its liberty consists in an indifferency to good or evil, like a balance in equal poise, Holds true of a regenerate man in some circumstances and in some respect viz that a person who is happily resigned to God's providential disposals may, in point of absolute acquiescence, be said to have his will in equilibrio, i.e., he wishes to be quite conformed to the divine pleasure and to incline neither to prosperity nor adversity, life nor death, but is desirous that God's own hand may incline the scale." We are never truly contented, nor, of course, truly happy, until God and we have but one will between us. The Armenians think that, in conversion, God does little or nothing for men, but gives them a pull by the elbow to awake them from their sleep. Rather, he acts as maritime officers do by their sailors. He cuts down the hammock of carnal security in which the elect are. Down they fall, and the bruises and surprise they receive awaken them from their death in sin, and bring them to themselves, whether they will or no. According to Arminianism, grace has the name, but free will has the game. Arminians suppose God to give us heaven, as the king grants a brief for building a church. The brief runs, we have granted our most gracious letters patent. But these same most gracious letters are amply paid for before they are granted. No fee, no brief. Some people, especially the Arminians, seem to speak of the 39 articles of the established church, as if those articles were like Mr. Van Buschel's newly invented elastic garters, which are so contrived by springs that they will accommodate and fit themselves to any leg that should wear them. Arminians will ask, Where is the use of preaching the doctrines of grace, even supposing them to be true, since we may go to heaven without a clear knowledge of them? And a man may go to heaven with broken bones, yet it is better to go thither in a whole skin. A man may get to his journey's end, though it rain and thunder all the way, yet it is more comfortable to travel in fair weather. You or I might make a better shift to live upon a scanty allowance of bread and water, yet surely an easy fortune and a decent table are in themselves abundantly preferable to poverty and short commons. Who would wish to go upon thorns, when his way may be strewed with roses. Where is the difference between Arminianism and Epicureanism? To suppose a fortuitous concourse of incidents is no less atheistical than to suppose a fortuitous concourse of atoms. I can compare some ranting Arminian preachers who represent salvation as a matter of chance and press men to help forward with their own conversion, upon pain of damnation, To none so well as to auctioneers, who, with the hammer in their hand, are always bawling out, Now is your time, now is your time, a-going, a-going, a-going. Such a method is equally inconsistent with the analogy of faith, and subversive of the majesty of the gospel. Shall I order a dead soul to awake, and raise itself to life? Let me rather address the living God, and say, Awake, and put on thy strength, O arm of the Lord, breathe on these slain that they may live. Assurance. It is not deemed presumptuous for the favourites of an earthly king to know and be conscious that they are so, and why should it be deemed presumptuous for the favourites of God to be assured of his love? Believer. A truly enlightened believer, i.e., one who has a clear view of gospel privileges and makes conscious of gospel duties, stands between two fires. The Pharisees call him an antinomian and the real antinomians call him a Pharisee. There is a true and sound sense in which we may say that a true believer may live as he will, for it is the prevailing will and desire of every real believer to live only to the glory of God. He is not a Christian who doth not delight in the law of God after the inner man. Bible To unconverted persons a great part of the Bible resembles a letter written in cipher, The Blessed Spirit's office is to act as God's decipherer by letting his people into the secret of celestial experience, as the key and clue to those sweet mysteries of grace which were before as a garden shut up, or as a fountain sealed, or as a book written in an unknown character. Whenever I preach from any passage in the book of Canticles or in the book of Revelation, I consider myself as standing on ground peculiarly consecrated and mysterious, The scripture in general may be considered as the temple at large, but these two books as the holy of holies. The most convincing argument and most infallible demonstration that the scriptures are indeed the word of God is to feel their enlivening, enlightening and transforming power in our hearts. Bigots Bigots are stiff, straightened and confined like Egyptian mummies which are bound round with thousands of yards of ribbon. Bigots are like some trees that grow by the seashore, which do not spread their branches equally on all sides, but are blown awry and stand entirely one way. Bigots, like Nebuchadnezzar, if you fall not down at the word of command before whatever image they set up, consign you at once to the burning fiery furnace. Call. The largeness of the gospel, more properly termed the ministerial call, does by no means imply the universality of grace. A fisher throws his net into the sea at large, not from an expectation of catching all the fishes that are in the sea, but with a view of catching as many as he can. And this is the end of indefinitely preaching to all. Captious Hearers Wherever there is a Paul to preach, there will be a Tertullus to find fault. Cavilling Some people can no more help cavilling at the doctrines of grace than some dogs can help howling at the sound of a trumpet. Christ alone. The house that is built partly on a rock and partly on the sand will fall, and the sinner who rests his hope of salvation partly on Christ and partly on his own works will be damned. You may as well trust in the supposed merits and pretended intercession of the Virgin Mary or other saints departed as trust in your own good works, prayers or anything you can do and suffer, either as a compensation to God's justice for your sins or as conducive towards your acceptance and salvation. Christ's Purchase It is a common saying that he who buys land buys stones and all the weeds and rubbish which belong to the soil. When Christ accepted of us in the decree of election, when the Father gave and made us over to him, and when he bought us afterwards with his blood, he took us with all our imperfections and wretchedness, for better, for worse, as a bridegroom takes his bride, and as a purchaser buys an estate. CHRISTIAN GRACES Wrap up ever so good a flint, in silk or satin, and not a spark of its latent fire will appear but bruise it with a hammer, or strike it with a steel, the dormant sparks will show themselves. In prosperity the graces of a saint too often lie hid, in adversity they shine forth with light and heat, like a flint in collision with a steel. Confidence. If a merchant of incontestable opulence and honesty gives me his note of hand, binding himself to pay me so much money, I have no reason to fear a failure of payment. Mr. Blank, is a person of vast wealth, and of as great integrity. My money, therefore, is as sure as if he had left it in my pocket. Thus we reason concerning human things. Give the same implicit credit to God's promises. We have it in his own writing under his own hand and seal that every one who believeth shall have everlasting life, and whoso cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out, etc., etc., Do not dishonour God's note of hand by letting unbelief question either his ability or his veracity. Do not withhold from the God of heaven and earth that confidence which in many cases you cannot withhold from man. Consequences I am resolved in the strength of grace to preach all the truths of the gospel so far as I know them, and leave God to take care of consequences. Contempt To expose ourselves to worldly contempt and persecution for Christ's sake is like going into the cold bath. At first it gives us a shock, but it grows easier and easier every time, until by degrees it ceases to be disagreeable. Controversy. It is in the church, as it is with nations. War must sometimes be carried on in order to establish a sound and durable peace at last. One moment's communion with God is worth all the controversial volumes in the world. Converse. A Christian, too conversant with people of the world, resembles a bright piece of plate too much exposed to the air, which, though in reality it continues plate still, yet grows tarnished and loses its fine burnish, and needs a fresh cleansing and rubbing up. Darkness. When a saint is in darkness, all his expedients for delivering himself out of it are in vain. They are literally dark lanthorns, and will not afford him a single gleam to see by. The day will not dawn, nor the shadows flee away, until the sun of righteousness arises with healing in its wings. And we can no more command the rising of the spiritual sun within, than we can that of the natural sun without. We can only, like Paul's mariners, cast anchor and wish for day. Death. Believers should not have a slavish dread of death. Where is the infant that is afraid to go to sleep in its nurse's arms? In those countries that are the seat of war it is common to see a fine field of standing corn flourishing one hour and laid waste the next, when a party of the enemy have cut down with their swords what was ripening for the sickle, and given that to their horses for fodder which the husbandman hoped would repay him for his toil. So does death, sickness, or unforeseen disappointment frequently disconcert our worldly schemes and blast our expectations in a moment. Man turneth to his dust, and then all his thoughts perish. To a true believer, death is but going to church, from the church below to the church above. A man would not be sorry to be ejected from a cottage in order to his living in a palace, And yet how apt we are to fear death, which to a child of God is but the writ of ejectment that turns him out of a prison and transmits him to his apartments at court. I have known many a believer go weeping to the river of death, but I never knew a believer go weeping all the way through it. Even an earthly parent is particularly tender and careful of a dying child. Much more will the great and gracious father of the elect support, cherish, and defend his own children in the hour of death. The world is a nursery of elect sinners. At death God transplants them, one by one, into the garden above, and fills up their places below with a fresh succession of spiritual trees. The church of the elect, which is partly militant on earth and partly triumphant in heaven, resembles a city built on both sides of a river. There is but the stream of death between grace and glory. Death, to God's people, is but a ferryboat. Every day and every hour the boat pushes off with some of the saints and returns for more. Denominations You may have seen the children of some fruitful family walking to church, all clothed in a different colour. Yet are they all children of one parent, all brothers and sisters, so the various denominations of God's believing people. Dependence The best watchfulness I know of is a continued looking to and dependence on the grace of God's Holy Spirit from moment to moment. Dignity of the Children of God God's people below are kings in cog. They are travelling, disguised like pilgrims, to their dominions above. Once a king unto God, always so. God does not make kings for the devil to unmake at his pleasure. If you are spiritual kings, be holy. Should I meet a person, all in dirt and rags, I should be mad, was I to take that person for a king or a queen. Nor can I believe you to be royally descended, or crowned for the skies, unless you carry the marks of royalty in your life and conversation. If any of God's anointed kings so far forget their dignity as to live in sin, their throne will shake, the crown will tremble on their heads, They will be driven from their place for a time, like David when he fled from Absalom and went weeping over the brook Kidron. But, like David, they shall be brought back again to Jerusalem, for Christ will not lose the purchase of his blood, though not until they have severely smarted for it. God's people are kings and priests. Revelation 1.6 1. As kings they are first ordained to a kingdom of glory, and in the meanwhile have an internal kingdom of holiness and happiness. Second, they are anointed with the Holy Ghost. Third, they are crowned. The doctrines of the gospel are the church's crown and ornament. Revelation 3.11 and 12.1 Fourth, they have the scepter of God's strength to lean upon. Fifth, and a globe also. They only truly enjoy even the present life. Earthly kings have a globe in their hands, but these spiritual kings have the globe under their feet. Sixth, they have robes, the inner robe of sanctification and the outer robe of Christ's righteousness for justification before God. Psalm 45. Seventh, they have their guards, angels, grace, providence. Before conversion, they are reges designati, kings elect, after it, reges de facto, actual kings. Two, as priests, They are devoted to God and set apart for His service by a spiritual ordination. Here is a truly indelible character conferred, when the Holy Ghost lays the hand of His grace not only upon the sinner's head, but upon the sinner's heart. They offer up spiritual and moral sacrifices. They pray. They are blessers, both in will and in act. Inward holiness and eternal glory are the crown with which God adorns and dignifies His elect but they are not the cause of election. A king is not made a king by the royal robes he wears and by the crown that encircles his brow, but he therefore wears his robes and puts on his crown because he is a king. Discriminating Grace Many pharisaical censures have been passed on such of God's ministers and people as have rejoiced at the indubitable, though late, conversion of Mr. D., footnote, a person executed for forgery. Let those unfeeling professors, who carp and murmur at that and similar displays of the Holy Spirit's condescending goodness and power, remember that they themselves, with their entire mock trappings of imaginary excellence and inherent perfection, must be unfrocked of all and trust in the above righteousness of Jesus, with brokenness of heart, or they will never enter the paradise of God. The holiest saint stands exactly on the same level with the vilest of mankind, in point of merit, and has just as much righteousness, i.e. absolutely none at all, to qualify him for an interest in Christ and for justification with the Father. May not God have mercy on whom he willeth to have mercy, without asking leave of men or angels? Is not his grace totally and infinitely free, and may not he bestow his own blessing when and where he pleases? Let not our eye, then, be evil and envious, because he is gracious. Away, then, with these anti-Christian bickerings, and let none who call themselves believers be sorry for that which makes angels glad. Dispositions. Some believers are very rude and very ignorant. Grace, in the hearts of sour, unpolished people, resembles a jewel of gold in a swine's snout. Disputants. Disputing, captious, bigoted people do but pump themselves dry. Unfair disputants are ever for dwelling on the most unfavourable side of an argument, like the blundering painter who, being to take the profile of a lady that has lost an eye, very injudiciously drew her blind side. Cavilling publications are not always to be regarded. Who would be at the pains to kill an insect of a day? Let the poor creature alone, and it will soon die of itself. Do not make it considerable by taking notice of it. If a child of four years old comes against me with a straw, that is no reason I should knock him down with the poker. Divine Love The terrors of the law have much the same effect on our duties and obedience as frost has on a stream. It hardens, cools, and stagnates, whereas... Let the shining of divine love rise upon the soul. Repentance will then flow, our hardness and coldness thaw and melt away, and all the blooming fruits of godliness flourish and abound. Divine Justice. To the humble, self-emptied, self-renouncing sinner, even the sword of divine justice is a katana, a sword of mercy, a sword without a point. Dying. As the setting of the sun appears of greater magnitude and his beams of richer gold than when he is in his meridian, so a dying believer is usually richer in experience, stronger in grace, and brighter in his evidences for heaven than a living one. When a person is going into a foreign land, where he never was before, it is comfortable for him to consider, though I am embarking for an unknown country, yet it is a place where I have many friends who are already settled there so that I shall be in fact at home the instant I get thither. How sweet for a dying believer to reflect that, though he is yet a stranger in the world of spirits, still the world of spirits is no stranger to him. God his Father is there, Christ his Saviour is there, angels his elect brethren are there, saints who got home before him are there, and more will follow him every day. He has the blood and righteousness of Christ for his letters of recommendation, and the Holy Spirit for his introducer. He also goes upon express invitation from the king of the country. Election. The book of life, or decree of election, is the marriage register of the saints, in which their everlasting espousal to Christ stands indelibly recorded by the pen of God's free and eternal love as the bullion of which money is made is the king's property even before it is struck into coin, and before it visibly bears the royal image and superscription, so the unregenerate elect are God's own heritage, though they do not appear to be such until the Holy Spirit has made them pass through the mint of effectual calling, and actually stamp them into current coin for the kingdom of heaven. The elect were betrothed to Christ from everlasting in the covenant of grace, They are actually married to him and join hands with him in conversion, but they are not taken home to the bridegroom's house until death dismisses them from the body. Envy Poor people envy the rich, and rich people envy the poor. Why? Because neither of them are privy to the troubles of the other. Unconverted persons, i.e. the far greater part of mankind, go on envying each other's imaginary happiness and smarting under their own crosses, And so the world goes round. Epitaph Little more can be said concerning the generality of men than that they lived and sinned and died. But concerning all God's people, it may be said that they lived, were converted, preserved to the end, and went to heaven. Evidence Many of the enemies of God's truths, when they are silenced by the force of evidence, do, like a snail provoked, draw in their horns and spit. EXPERIENCES. If a person who has been long in possession of a large estate comes in process of time to have his title disputed, he rummages every corner of his scrutoir and of his strong boxes to find the original deeds which, having found, he appeals to as authentic vouchers. Thus past experiences of the grace of God, though not proper to be rested in, may yet be recollected with comfort and referred to with advantage by a deserted saint in an hour of doubt and darkness. We cannot heartily love the distinguishing truths of the gospel without experiencing them, and we cannot experience them without loving them. Faith. Faith in God's promises may be compared to a banknote. Full and felt possession of the blessings promised is like ready cash. The man who has banknotes to any given value looks upon himself as possessed of so much money, though in reality it is only so much paper. Thus faith is as satisfied and rests with as great complacency in the promises of Jehovah, as if it had all the blessings of grace and glory in hand. In faith's estimation, God's note is current coin. Weak faith says, God can save me if he will. Strong faith says, God both can and will save me. See Daniel 3.17 What can be more feeble than the ivy, the jessamine, or the vine? Yet these, by the assistance of their tendrils or claspers, rise and are supported until they sometimes mount as high as the tree or the wall that sustains them. So the weak believer, laying hold on Jesus by the tendril of faith, rises into the fullness of God, defies the invading storm, and becomes as a fruitful vine upon the wall of a house. Under the influence of the blessed spirit, Faith produces holiness, and holiness strengthens faith. Faith, like a fruitful parent, is plenteous in all good works, and good works, like dutiful children, confirm and add to the support of faith. Faith is the eye of the soul, and the Holy Spirit's influence is the light by which it sees. FEARS In the hands of a skilful husbandman, even weeds are turned to good account. When rooted up and burnt, they are good manure, and conduce to fertilize the land they annoyed before. So the doubts and fears and the infirmities of the elect are overruled by almighty grace to their present and eternal good, as conducing to keep us humble at God's footstool, to endear the merits of Jesus, and to make us feel our weakness and dependence, and to render us watchful unto prayer." I have known several wealthy persons who, contrary to all sense and reason, have teased and harassed themselves with a fear that they should at last come to want. Equally, nay, infinitely more absurd and groundless are the doubts of those who have fled to the righteousness and blood of Christ for salvation. Such must be in a state of grace. They must and infallibly are accepted of God, and they certainly shall persevere to the end. They who think themselves the poorest in spiritual things are immensely rich without knowing it, but such is the state of men below that if God does not lay crosses upon us, we are sure to create crosses for ourselves. Flattery. Flattery is nectar and ambrosia to little minds. They drink it in and enjoy it like an old woman sucking methaglen through a quill. Forbearance. As I would not throw away my watch for varying a few minutes from the exact point of time, so neither would I disclaim a regenerate person, for he is not in everything exactly thinking with me. Christians are no more infallible than watchers. Free Gifts If a person of exalted rank and vast opulence desires you to make his house your home, and you avail yourself of the invitation, would it not affront him? If he was to offer at paying him for the accommodation, what greater affront can be offered to the majesty of God than to imagine that he sets his favours to sale and that you must pay him for admitting you into the kingdom of grace and glory. Christ has received gifts for men and bestows the gifts he has received. God grant that we may, if I may so speak, give him continual receipts for these gifts from time to time in large returns of love and duty, thankfulness and obedience. Get grace, get faith, get an interest in Christ, say the Arminians, when in truth grace is not of man's getting but of God's giving, Nor is faith of man's acquisition, but of God's operation. Free will. A man's free will cannot cure him even of the toothache or of a sore finger, and yet he madly thinks it is in his power to cure his soul. The greatest judgment which God himself can in the present life inflict upon a man is to leave him in the hand of his own boasted free will. Look where you will, and you will generally find that free willers are very free livers. Generosity Even among men, if a generous antagonist has his adversary down, he will spare his life. If God, O sinner, has humbled thee and thrown thee down, he will not kill thee, but spare thee, and give thee quarter, raise thee up, and save thee. God as a Father God, who knows the unfaithfulness of the human heart, will not trust his grace to the keeping of his own people. If he did, they would soon make havoc of it, like the prodigal son. He therefore acts by them, as a prudent father would make provision for an extravagant child, viz. not giving them the stock to manage for themselves, but by leaving it in trust to be dealt out to them from time to time by stated allowance. God All-Sufficient We will suppose that some opulent person makes the tour of Europe. If his money falls short, he comforts himself with reflecting that he has a sufficient stock in bank which he can draw out at any time by writing to his cashiers. This is just the case spiritually with God's people. They are travellers in a foreign land, remote from home. Their treasure is in heaven, and God himself is their banker. When their graces seem to be almost spent and exhausted, When the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil appear to be failing, they need but draw upon God by prayer and faith and humble waiting. The Holy Spirit will honour their bill at sight, and issue to them from time to time sufficient remittances to carry them to their journey's end. God's Sovereignty A Practical Discourse by Elisha Coles It would be entirely needless to say anything in favour of a book, which has given such profitable and universal satisfaction to God's people, of all denominations, for almost a century past, it will and must ever be considered as one of the choicest treasures which the God of infinite wisdom has vouchsafed to his church. Since the days of the apostles, it is a work calculated for the instruction, establishment, and consolation of little children, of young men, and of fathers in Christ, Would the newly awakened penitent, the advanced convert, and the ripening saint, wish to read, merely for the sake of seeing the light of truth, of feeling the warmth of grace, and of rising into the holy image of God, let them make Elisha Coles their companion, their guide, and their own familiar friend. O ye believers in Jesus, whom God has entrusted with anything above a bare sufficiency of this world's good, seize the opportunity of furnishing the poor and needy with a book, the best calculated of almost any other to extend the knowledge of gospel salvation, to diffuse the fragrance of gospel comfort, to elevate the glorious standard of gospel grace, and to promote the vital interests of gospel holiness and good works. Good works. Good works, like the golden ear rings of the Israelites, are valuable in themselves, but if once exalted into a golden calf to be worshipped and relied upon, are damningly pernicious. Gospel. The bite of the tarantula, an Italian spider, can only be cured by music, nor can anything heal the wounds which sin and Satan have made in the soul, but the music of the gospel, the sweet, harmonious and joyful sound of free salvation by the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Grace. A true believer lives upon free grace as his necessary food. And indeed, he who has really tasted the sweetness of grace can live upon nothing else. There is no difference between the brightest archangel in glory and the blackest apostate spirit in hell but what free grace has made. If I might not have both, I would rather have grace without learning than learning without grace. I would infinitely rather be a bunion than a grotius. Grace cannot be severed from its fruits. If God gives you St. Paul's faith... You will soon have St. James's works. The graces of God's Spirit in our hearts resemble, during the present life, the citrons and other noble fruits imported from abroad. We have them, but not in perfection. Our graces will ever be defective until we get to heaven, the country where they grow. Gifts may differ, but grace as such is the same in all God's people. Just as some pieces of money are of gold some of silver, others of copper, but they all agree in bearing the king's image and inscription. The way to heaven lies not over a toll bridge, but over a free bridge, even the unmerited grace of God in Christ Jesus. We may not be proud of grace, but we ought to be glad of grace. Good works cannot go before regeneration. Effectual grace is that which builds the soul into an habitation of God. Holy tempers and holy obedience are the furniture of the house, and, as a house, must be built before it can be furnished. Grace finds us beggars and always leaves us debtors. Grace and glory. Inherent grace below resembles silver in the ore, which, though genuine silver, is mingled with much earth and dross. Glory above resembles silver refined to its proper standard, and wrought into vessels of the most exquisite workmanship. Greek Testament The Greek Testament is, beyond all competition, the most important volume in the world. The inexhaustible richness of its contents and its unequalled beauties as a composition are such as must forever exalt its worth, infinitely above that of all other books which have appeared, or which will appear while heaven and earth remain. Every judicious attempt, therefore, to lead us into a deeper and clearer acquaintance with this inestimable Magna Carta of our salvation, and to unlock its heavenly treasures, has a direct tendency to advance the glory of God by promoting the knowledge, the happiness, and the sanctification of men. Hearing. Some people hear the gospel as a butterfly settles upon a flower, without being at all the better for it. Others hear the gospel as a bee settles upon a flower, they enjoy its fragrance, they imbibe its honey, and return home richly laden with its sweets. And some hear the gospel as a spider visits a flower, they would, if possible, extract poison from the rose of Sharon. Heaven. Even on earth the joy of harvest is great, but what infinite joy will ensue when the number of the elect is accomplished? When the bodies of the saints are all retrieved from the grave, and Christ celebrates his harvest home. The kingdom of heaven is elective, to which men are chosen by God, and yet at the same time it goes by indefeasible hereditary right, it proceeds in the line of election and the line of regeneration. End of section one.